On December 20, 2012, 46-year-old billionaire Bill Ackman paced backstage in an auditorium at the AXA Center in New York City. Hundreds of Bill's colleagues, portfolio managers, asset allocators, and private investors sat in the audience. They waited in anticipation as the corny motivational background music at the Sone Conference special event faded to silence. The press was also in attendance, and they held their breath too. They heard Bill would be taking a controversial stance on a big company, and they knew the coming moments would make headlines. When Bill finally took the mic moments later, he did so without restraint. He'd uncovered what he considered to be the crown jewel of his research, a case he'd spent a full year building. He'd discovered a billion-dollar brand with over 6,000 employees had been built on extremely unethical principles. Standing at the mic under the bright glow of stage lights, Bill explained that this business was the best-managed pyramid scheme in the history of the world. In pursuit of what was right, Bill claimed he would be taking a new short position to bet against the company and take it down, once and for all. He swore he would put an end to Herbalife. Welcome to Con Artists, a podcast original. I'm Alastair Murden. Every week, we peel back the layers of history's greatest deceptions and tell the stories of the hustlers, swindlers, and fraudsters that orchestrated them. I'll dive into their psychology, break down their tricks, and explain why anyone might fall for a con. You can find all episodes of Con Artists and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Con Artists for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Con Artists in the search bar. Last week, we explored founder Mark Hughes' contribution to Herbalife's meteoric rise and the series of controversies that came with it. This week, we'll discuss billionaire Bill Ackman's plan to take down Herbalife. We'll also delve into the numerous lawsuits, investigations, and news segments that attempted to oust the mega-giant nutrition brand with little success. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In February of 1980, 24-year-old Mark Hughes formed a nutrition company called Herbalife. He started his business modestly, selling diet shakes, supplements, and vitamins out of the trunk of his car. But within 20 years, Herbalife grew into a billion-dollar global corporation. Mark's Herbalife products weren't sold in stores. Instead, Herbalife distributors sold directly to people, and they were incentivized to hire more distributors who would pay for products to resell. This multi-level marketing model got Herbalife in trouble time and time again, as sellers complained that they were promised success and left with empty pockets. But somehow, during its rise, Herbalife always managed to prevail despite the controversy. In 2000, its founder Mark Hughes passed away, drawing confidence from investors and forcing it out of the public sector. In turn, Michael O. Johnson took Mark's place, attempting to restore Herbalife to the booming success it once had. As CEO, Michael dealt with an incredible number of lawsuits and governmental investigations for everything from drug trafficking to falsified health claims. At one point, medical professionals all over the world even took stances opposing Herbalife products, warning about their dangerous side effects. But Michael O. Johnson knew how to play ball. He took up Mark Hughes' tactic of denying all bad publicity. Whether paying a small lawsuit settlement or facing the press when they reported on Herbalife's alleged mafia ties, Michael decried any and every notion that Herbalife had acted wrongly. And somehow, it worked. Over the span of four decades, Herbalife fooled hundreds of millions of people all over the globe. This giant of the industry still operates today, and it will stop at nothing to make its money. In January of 2012, the New York Times released an article about Herbalife's ties to a DEA operation that had infiltrated Mexican and Colombian drug smuggling rings. According to the piece, dealers were using their Herbalife bank accounts like shell companies, moving thousands of dollars a month without anyone suspecting a thing. In response, Herbalife CEO, 58-year-old Michael O. Johnson, scrambled to save his company's reputation. But this wasn't the first time Herbalife faced rumors surrounding its involvement with illicit substances. Ever since the FBI investigated founder Mark Hughes's drug habits in 1985, the government had secretly kept an eye out for any connection between Herbalife and cocaine trafficking. Throughout 1994, Herbalife packages secretly containing various amounts of cocaine were discovered in Nebraska, Georgia, Texas, and New York. A decade later, in 2004, one of Herbalife Mexico's top distributors, Eduardo Salazar, was murdered after a dispute with an associate of the Beltran Leyva drug cartel. Just three years following that scandal, a former elite member of Herbalife, 
Joaquin Senderos, was arrested for laundering drug money through his own health product business. He'd allegedly modeled it after Herbalife. But for every single incident, Herbalife remains silent. Technically, they didn't need to say anything. After all, their distributors operated their businesses individually as entrepreneurs rather than as salaried employees. As such, Herbalife refused to assume responsibility for any individual's actions. This didn't stop some of Herbalife's distributors from reaching out to HR with concerns over the New York Times article. Predictably, Herbalife's Human Resources Department never responded. In 2012, noted investor and hedge fund manager Bill Ackman decided it was time to break the silence. Bill Ackman was more than an average investor. Having grown up in the wealthy suburb of Chappaqua, New York, Bill was well acquainted with the social intricacies of the affluent. This, compounded with his natural love for sports and business, gave him a strong competitive edge when he attended Harvard for his undergraduate studies. He acquired his master's from the prestigious institution, then made his way to Wall Street. In 2003, Bill raised $54 million in funding and founded his own company, Pershing Square Capital Management. But unfortunately, over the next decade, he took major financial risks, which cost his company quite a bit of money. By 2012, Bill was licking his wounds and hungered to restore his tarnished reputation. He wanted to make his comeback explosively. By making a bet so big, he'd have no choice but to win it. He decided to take down Herbalife. In this way, Bill's behavior reflected that of a gambler. And even though his favorite stomping grounds weren't casinos, as an investor, Bill did seem to display similar tendencies to gamblers. Researchers Janis Jadlow and John Moen sought to explore the personalities of people in these two professions. They found that across the board, their subjects from both gambling and investing scored high in levels of competitiveness, superstition, and numeric proficiency. They also placed a fair amount of value on material needs while displaying little to no conservatism with their finances. At their core, both gambling and investing involve high-risk behaviors that, when not kept in check, can result in massive financial losses. Jadlow and Moen's research suggests that, when faced with the possibility of a big win, investors may lose control over their ability to make sound decisions in the same way that gamblers do. After conducting almost a year's worth of research on Herbalife, Bill Ackman may have felt that taking a stand against them was a sound financial decision. However, he likely got caught up in the excitement of the moment and was unable to effectively calculate his own risk. Only time would reveal if it would pay off. At the Sone Conference on December 20th, 2012, event founder Evan Sone promised an earth-shattering reveal for the audience. Anticipation roared throughout the convention center as folks applauded the man of the hour, Bill Ackman. When he took to the stage, Bill launched into a 330-something slide presentation entitled, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? With gusto, he supplied the 2002 definition of a pyramid scheme by Dr. Peter J. Van der Nat, a senior economist at the FTC. According to Dr. Van der Nat, 
If an organization obtains its monetary benefits from recruiting rather than sales, that organization is a pyramid scheme. Now, Herbalife certainly boasted incredible sales figures, with numbers in the billions for years. But when asked how many of those sales were made to non-members outside the company's distributor network, Herbalife said, We do not track this number and do not believe it is relevant. Then, Bill did some quick math for the room. Through his research, he had determined that Herbalife recruits paid roughly $2,000 each for inventory and training. He multiplied that by the 1.9 million distributors working around the world and revealed that Herbalife would have made about $3.8 billion in profit simply from bringing new members into the fold. That wouldn't be so terrible if all of those distributors made their money back and, ideally, made additional profits as well. But Bill's investigation had found that 82% of all Herbalife distributors made $0 annually working for the company. All of those distributors were, of course, from the bottom of the pyramid. In fact, they made up most of it. The only individuals profiting from Herbalife were situated comfortably at the very top. Bill looked grimly out into the crowd and emphasized that the top 1% at Herbalife made 88% of the company's money. Just one year prior to this presentation, Herbalife CEO Michael O. Johnson boasted a salary of $89 million, making him America's highest paid executive of 2011. Bill was careful to emphasize that the problem with Herbalife was its unethical business structure, not the fact that its CEO made more money in one year than most people make in a lifetime. He knew better than to try to convince a crowd of hedge fund managers that money was the root of all evil. In fact, financial gain was the primary goal of Bill's presentation. While he chastised the company for its unfair financial structure, he did so with his mind set on profiting off of Herbalife's inequity. In an attempt to revitalize his own company, Pershing Square Capital Management, Bill took on a short position against Herbalife. That meant if Herbalife's stock price went down as he believed it would, Bill would make money. And Bill was so certain of this prediction that he pledged a whopping $1 billion against the nutrition giant. If he was right, Herbalife's share price would fall all the way down to zero. This kind of stock market wager was unprecedented. And while rumors of Bill's short position against Herbalife had been leaked to the press, the story made national news when reporters learned just how much Bill was betting. Investors believed Bill was right and followed his lead. They sold their stock, and some even took short positions of their own. As a result, Herbalife's stock prices immediately started to fall. In the wake of the news, Herbalife CEO Michael O. Johnson felt enraged. He reportedly stomped around Herbalife's headquarters, screaming at no one in particular, wondering just who Bill Ackman thought he was. As executives tried to quietly draft a statement on behalf of the company, Michael decided to take a different approach. He called into the CNBC program Street Signs as they reported on Bill's Herbalife short bet. The news anchors delightedly welcomed his commentary, knowing it would drive up ratings. 
With a tone of condemnation, Michael said that what Bill was doing was blatant market manipulation and that calling Herbalife a pyramid scheme was a completely bogus accusation. He also emphasized that while Bill claimed to be an activist who was fighting for the little man, all he really wanted to do was make himself even richer. Eventually, the CEO of Herbalife lost control of his rage and he sputtered out the words, The United States would be better off when Bill Ackman is gone, and the feud would only escalate in the months that followed. Coming up, Bill's attack on Herbalife is compounded by a timely lawsuit. Hi listeners, Alastair here with a quick but special announcement. The newest Spotify original from Parcast is unlocking the mysteries of superstitions. If you've ever broken a mirror or walked under a ladder, you know the feeling. You've just doomed yourself to bad luck. But have you really been marked for misfortune? Every week on Superstitions, take a closer look at eerie, almost mystical beliefs and practices that might just have the power to change our fates. Can holding your breath while passing a cemetery save your life? Will carrying a rabbit's foot bring you luck? How can you go through life always avoiding the number 13? And why should you try? They may seem mystical or even completely illogical, but one thing is certain. You ignore them at your own risk. You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more podcast shows, search Podcast Network in the Spotify search bar and find a growing slate of thrilling new series to enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In December of 2012, investor Bill Ackman eagerly announced that he was taking a $1 billion bet against Herbalife and their unethical business practices. In response, Herbalife CEO Michael O'Johnson responded with eviscerating critique, claiming Bill lied in an attempt to profit on a loss that wasn't coming. Bill welcomed Michael's unhinged criticism on CNBC's show, knowing the evident hostility only further evidenced Michael's guilt. And to dispel Michael's accusations that he was only out for personal profit, Bill promised the public he planned to donate 100% of the personal profits he made on his short of Herbalife. This was a surprising move, given that Bill had good reason to want to use the money to restore his own company. Nevertheless, Bill repeatedly told the press he targeted Herbalife out of a patriotic duty to take an evil company down. He resolved to spend his own time and money getting authorities to look into Herbalife and, for the next year, he did. Bill and his team organized protests and letter-writing campaigns, held press conferences, and spoke to Herbalife victims. 
This dedication didn't go unrecognized. As media reports continued to emerge about Herbalife, they empowered one former Herbalife distributor to come forward with a lawsuit. His name was Dana Bostic, and in April of 2013, he launched a class action lawsuit against the company. Dana was a California housing inspector who had taken up selling Herbalife on the side in order to make some extra money. However, like many other distributors, Dana found himself unable to make any profits. And now, he demanded fair reimbursement with all those who had been wronged by Herbalife. Echoing what Bill had said in his 2012 presentation, Dana claimed that Herbalife only financially rewarded the recruitment of new members and that product sales were largely ignored. Even if he did find someone interested in buying his Herbalife products, folks usually ended up buying from a distributor who was higher on the pyramid. This was because the more advanced a distributor got, the more discounts they got. Salespeople at higher levels than Dana were able to give customers better prices and took Dana's possible business because of it. Herbalife's only response to Dana was that he hadn't worked hard enough. They blamed him and him alone for the fact that he hadn't made any money. Herbalife's attempt to abdicate blame and convince Dana that his losses were his own fault reflect the manipulation tactic gaslighting. Gaslighters focus on controlling how someone sees themselves and their reality. They try to destabilize people by convincing them that what they've seen or experienced didn't actually happen. In her book, Gaslighting, psychologist Stephanie Sarkis outlined several warning signs of gaslighting, all of which have been utilized by Herbalife to gain power over its employees. According to Dr. Sarkis, gaslighters often throw in positive reinforcement to confuse their victims. Herbalife senior distributors often encourage their recruits to keep going despite enormous personal loss by convincing them that they were too special to fail. This made recruits feel supported, even after complaining that the company had been anything but. Gaslighters also align people against their victims in order to isolate and weaken them. If an Herbalife distributor left the company, they were shunned by the rest of the Herbalife community, which sometimes included their family and friends. It's much harder to stand alone against a big corporation, which is part of the reason so many distributors were unable to successfully sue Herbalife for the damages they incurred. And though Herbalife seemed to gaslight Dana when he stood up to bat against them, this time it was different. Dana had sued on behalf of multiple distributors, and with their unity came strength. In turn, Herbalife decided it would be best to settle the suit out of court, lest they publicly admit to the unethical practices of which Dana had accused them. While Herbalife managed to steer clear of media scrutiny during Dana's suit, they ran into a predicament far more daunting in March of 2014. Still negotiating the settlement with Dana, Herbalife received word that the Federal Trade Commission would be investigating the company. It was exactly as Bill had predicted at his 2012 presentation. He'd roused enough suspicion that governing bodies had grown curious too. Of course, publicly, Herbalife's executives said that they welcomed any and all inquiries by the authorities. But 
At the same time, they started giving extra board seats to anyone who bought up Herbalife stock and kept the share price from plummeting. Things only turned worse for the rising media controversy when in December of 2014, another governmental organization attacked Herbalife. This time, the strike came from the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA sent a letter to Michael O. Johnson and to the FTC demanding that the company stop suggesting that Herbalife products have the FDA seal of approval. Their response came in regards to a promotional Herbalife video featuring a man named Vasilios Frankos. It had been making the rounds on YouTube. As it happened, Vasilios did have experience with the FDA, as he'd been a former official for them before he began working for Herbalife in 2010. He made sure to emphasize this in the video, noting that his specific title with the agency was Director of Dietary Supplemental Programs. He claimed it was his job to make sure that nutritional supplements were safe for use. In the video, Vasilios assured Herbalife consumers that his knowledge and experience in this arena would be applied to Herbalife products, implying that they would meet the FDA's strict safety standards. However, what Vasilios neglected to mention was that the law does not require nutrition companies to submit their dietary supplements to the FDA for approval. The FDA keeps an eye on supplements once they hit the marketplace, but prior to that, they have no jurisdiction over the products whatsoever. The language Vasilios used implied that all dietary supplements, including those sold by Herbalife, needed to meet certain FDA safety standards before being sold to the public, which was simply untrue. Though Herbalife had been careful crafting the language Vasilios could use in the video to avoid a false claims lawsuit, the FDA still felt that the marketing attempt warranted an objection. Herbalife repeatedly defended itself against the FDA's frustrations, but eventually they took the YouTube video down. This was hardly a reparation, as thousands of consumers had already been misled. But some semblance of justice came for Herbalife just a few months later. In the spring of 2015, Herbalife settled out of court with Dana Bostic for $15 million. Because it was a class action lawsuit, the settlement dictated that the money be split amongst all distributors, up to the supervisor level who worked for Herbalife between April 2009 and December of 2014. It also required Herbalife to put money into a fund for product returns, which would be available to any distributors who had filed valid claims for the return of unused, unopened products during that same time frame. Herbalife contributed $2.5 million to this fund. On the surface, the settlement seemed like a big win for the bottom of the Herbalife pyramid. But a closer look at the deal proved that, unfortunately, this was far from true. As one attorney explained, if every single one of the suit's 200,000 supervisors claimed a 100% loss on products, training, and marketing materials, that would amount to roughly $8,000 lost per person. In order to cover all of those losses, Herbalife would have had to pay out $1.6 billion. Even if the distributors had all claimed only half of their losses, Herbalife still would have had to give back $800 million. Instead, they settled for $15 million, which, 
split amongst the 1.55 million distributors covered by the lawsuit meant that each person would receive a reimbursement check for about $10 total. Under the conditions of the settlement, Herbalife also did not have to publicly admit to any wrongdoing, which felt like a real twist of the knife. It seemed the people at the top of Herbalife's precarious pyramid had won out once again. The year following the Dana Bostic lawsuit brought a dizzying amount of negative publicity against Herbalife. Throughout 2015 and 2016, former distributors spoke out against the company, Bill Ackman stayed on the attack, and the FTC continued its investigation. Outwardly, CEO Michael O. Johnson displayed confidence, but he anxiously awaited the conclusion of the FTC investigation. If the FTC ruled that Herbalife was indeed a pyramid scheme, then Bill Ackman would win his $1 billion short bet against the company, and Herbalife as the world knew it would be done for. But all he did to bide his time was stay silent and encourage Herbalife employees to do the same, only speaking to the company's strengths if anyone from the press asked questions. It's possible that his outburst in reaction to Bill's 2012 announcement had taught him a lesson on self-restraint. But while Michael hunkered down and hoped for a fast settlement, Bill Ackman used his time to bombard everyone he could with facts about the corruption within Herbalife. He continued airing bad stories about the company to the press and sent letters to the FTC. He even released videos featuring testimonials from Herbalife victims. With the $1 billion bet and nearly five years invested into Herbalife's downfall, Bill refused to believe the FTC's decision could bring him anything but success. Finally, on July 15, 2016, the Federal Trade Commission had completed their evaluation after two years of investigations. No one could have anticipated what they would reveal. Coming up, the FTC delivers a hard-hitting verdict. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery... Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. Now, back to the story. Between 2012 and 2016, Bill Ackman fought Herbalife tooth and nail in the press, while Michael O'Johnson at Herbalife focused on keeping up appearances. Herbalife's stock and reputation had weathered the tumultuous storms of Wall Street skepticism, and Bill saw such volatility as a positive indicator that his bet against them had been a solid wager. But on July 15, 2016, four years after Bill had declared his bet against them, 
and two years after the FTC had begun their extensive scrutiny on Herbalife, they arrived at a decision. The FTC officially ruled that Herbalife was not operating as an illegal pyramid scheme. The public was shocked, and so was Bill. His years of hard work had ended in empty-handed disappointment. Soon, he began withdrawing his short shares, working toward a complete exit from his bet against Herbalife. Anytime the media came knocking at his door, Bill made sure to point out all of the new regulations the FTC had put in place for the company within its ruling. They were extensive, which suggested that the company had been operating under untenable conditions. Bill was correct in that perception of the FTC's ruling. It was incredibly strict. The FTC may not have directly called Herbalife a pyramid scheme, but they did imply that the company had walked as far up to that line as they could without actually crossing it. Now that they had to change nearly every aspect of their company, Bill recognized his efforts hadn't been completely fruitless. The FTC demanded that members were rewarded for what they sold, not who they recruited, a practice that pyramid schemes tended to overlook. To achieve this, Herbalife was required to implement retail sales into its structure, creating outlets for consumers to purchase products on their own without a distributor making the sale. Additionally, two-thirds of the rewards given to Herbalife distributors were required to come out of those retail sales. This was intended to remove the prior incentive of recruitment, since distributors no longer had to rely on acquiring sellers for profit. Consumers were also given the choice of becoming distributors or buyers. Those who chose to become buyers would not be eligible to sell any Herbalife products. Distributors, on the other hand, now had to keep track of all of their sales and save all receipts, retail or otherwise. For all who went unprotected by the new rules and were financially harmed by Herbalife, the FTC requested the company pay a $200 million consumer redress to all employees who had lost money with them. And with a final crack of the whip, the FTC told Herbalife to hire an independent compliance auditor to monitor them, ensure that all provisions were employed, and report back to the FTC for the next seven years. Such extreme stipulations had many confused as to why the FTC hadn't simply labeled Herbalife a pyramid scheme in the first place. At a press conference shortly after the FTC's decision was announced, a journalist asked Edith Ramirez, the chairwoman of the FTC, that very question. Her reply didn't help clarify matters. She said, they were not determined not to have been a pyramid. Edith's use of a double negative heavily implied that Herbalife was, in fact, a pyramid scheme, and yet those words didn't appear anywhere in the FTC's ruling. Comedian John Oliver featured Edith's baffling quote in a segment on MLMs in his HBO show Last Week Tonight, four months later in November of 2016. The piece began by discussing multi-level marketing companies in general, but John decided to focus the majority of his reporting on Herbalife. What followed was a scathing 30-minute presentation detailing the corruption, hypocrisy, and dishonesty that propped up Herbalife and kept it running. 
John did not hold back on his distaste for the company, calling it an industry leader in worthless crap people stick in their garages. He also vehemently chastised Michael O. Johnson for characterizing the FTC's ruling as a victory for Herbalife. John said, He didn't just polish that turd, he put it in a bottle and convinced people that they can make a fortune selling nutritional turds in their spare time. John Oliver's bit became national news and received recognition from outlets like the Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, and the Huffington Post. When the segment hit YouTube, the video reached over 24 million views and 24,000 comments of angered consumers. It seemed it wasn't just John Oliver who had been fed up with Herbalife's long reign of antics. And yet, despite the FTC's strict ruling and extensive media coverage on the problems with Herbalife, the company's sales numbers were barely affected. In 2016, they still made $4.5 billion in sales. As controversy calmed, Herbalife decided to do what it did best, revamp its image. In April of 2018, leadership rebranded Herbalife International as Herbalife Nutrition. Spokespeople said that the company wanted the name change to reflect Herbalife's intention to become a leader in the nutrition industry. The reason behind the name change was slightly confusing, as Herbalife had already branded itself as a company at the forefront of that industry, but the board knew what they were doing. Herbalife likely aimed its branding at health and wellness junkies. In this way, the company may have been relying on consumer psychology. Researchers Jennifer Edson Escalas and James R. Bettman conducted a study with college students to explore what evoked positive associations with brands. They found that the companies that received the best responses from the tested group were those that reflected images consistent with the subject's own identity. Many studies in consumer psychology reinforced this idea, and in Herbalife's case, the personality type they felt they could most appeal to were those hitting the gym and focusing on their nutrition. Hence the name, Herbalife Nutrition. Their strategy worked. By the end of 2018, Herbalife sales had shot back up to $4.9 billion, matching where they had been in 2014 before sales had started slipping. But as was typical for the volatile company, the celebration over Herbalife's rebrand triumph was short-lived. Even after removing International from their title, their operations abroad caused Herbalife major problems. In 2019, Herbalife found itself under governmental investigation again, this time by the US Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC. Part of this agency's mission is to maintain honest and orderly markets. So when they looked at Herbalife's practices abroad, they found that Herbalife had hardly played fair in their dealings with China between 2012 and 2018. In fact, they flat out lied to Chinese investors about what Herbalife really was. Since multi-level marketing structures are banned in China, Herbalife insisted they change their business plan to operate differently there. To do this, Herbalife allegedly paid their Chinese distributors on an hourly basis. The SEC found this to be untrue. Chinese Herbalife workers didn't even bother tracking their hours because they quickly discovered that they had nowhere 
and no one to submit them to. Instead, their pay was determined on how much they sold to other distributors, just like every other Herbalife operation. Chinese distributors would report their sales to Herbalife Corporate, where accountants divided the numbers up into an arbitrary hourly wage for them. Then, they would send the workers a pre-printed invoice to sign, forcing them to claim that they were abiding by China's anti-MLM law. As was the usual practice for Herbalife, the company settled the SEC's charges for $20 million and refused to confirm their findings. But their problems in China didn't end there. In November of that same year, the US Department of Justice, along with the SEC, charged two former Herbalife China executives with violating the Foreign Corruption Practices Act. Jerry Lee and Mary Yang, both 51-year-olds, were accused of bribing Chinese officials for 10 years in order to obtain licenses for Herbalife distribution. They also allegedly paid off Chinese government officials who threatened to investigate them and suppress negative media coverage in Chinese news. As the former head of Herbalife China and director of the External Affairs Department respectively, Jerry and Mary had made bank with their scheme. But in 2017, Jerry mysteriously left the company. When accused by the US Department of Justice and the SEC, he claimed that they had not been involved in any such operation and went so far as to destroy all evidence in his possession. Herbalife refused to comment publicly on this issue. And in August 2020, they agreed to pay $123 million to settle the bribery claims with the Department of Justice. Time and time again, they bore the blows of legal scrutiny. And somehow, in the end, they have remained standing, dominating the market of nutrition supplements. It would appear that Herbalife's staunch refusal to accept and admit the unethical nature of its practices serves it well. In 2019, they reported sales of $4.9 billion, with over 2 million distributors worldwide, sponsored by over 150 athletes, including soccer superstar Cristiano Ronaldo. The company's reach across social platforms is also astounding, with over 1.4 million followers on Instagram and over 6 million followers on Facebook. To top it off, Herbalife Nutrition's PR machine has ensured that it's quite difficult to use a quick Google search to find any negative press about the company, making it seem like nothing has ever gone wrong at Herbalife. But after a little digging, the same old accusations of drug trafficking, internal corruption, and adverse health effects of their products will pop up. Herbalife may try to run from the cries of those it's harmed, but the truth seems to have a mysterious way of finding the light. So while they may be thriving now, remember, according to the FTC, they're not, not a pyramid scheme. And those usually come crumbling down. Thanks for listening to Con Artists. We'll be back next week with a new episode. 
For more information on Herbalife, amongst the many sources we used, we found When the Wolves Bite by Scott Wapner and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire by Bill Ackman and Pershing Square Capital Management extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Con Artists and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Con Artists for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Con Artists on Spotify, just open the app and type Con Artists in the search bar. I'll see you next time. Con Artists was created by Max Cutler and is a podcast studio's original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Con Artist was written by Ellie Reed, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Alastair Murden. Hang a horseshoe above your door, keep a rabbit's foot in your pocket, and follow Superstitions free on Spotify. Listen every Wednesday for the surprising backstories to our most curious beliefs and thrilling tales that illuminate the mystical eeriness of our favorite superstitions. 